Hello and welcome to Colonial Consoles, Army Century Media's premier video game podcast. My name is Malik Johnson. I'm the news manager here at Army Century Media and the program director at Army Radio. With me, I have Garrett Roberts, the assistant arts and entertainment manager at Army Century Media and the host of Colonial Rock Radio. It's here on Army Radio, Mondays at 8 p.m. We've got a good show today. We're going to talk to Professor Dave Sonoka about the new esports elective that's on campus. That class is full, but be sure to check it out. Uh, we also are going to talk about Microsoft's conference that they had, XO18. They announced a bunch of really cool things and a bunch of other things. So be sure to stay tuned for the rest of the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Malik Johnson. I'm here with Professor Dave Sinoka. We're here to talk about the new esports elective on campus. I guess my first question is, what inspired the esports elective? Well, over the last several years, probably about three or four years ago, uh, became aware of just the uh, popularity of esports, not only nationally but globally. And as time went on. I started to realize this is not a fad, but I think it's going to be an increasing trend of giving uh, people who are interested in sports another option, except it's just another uh, type of format and, and presentation. And if we're in the sports management business, then we need to be on top of it. What, I guess, differentiates esports in terms of like sport management from, say, basketball? Well, I think right now, if you look at esports, essentially, when you there there are some similarities we can talk about, but there are significant differences. Uh, with with esports, it deals more in terms of uh, a different type of skill set, as what we see in playing basketball. Uh, a different set of strategies. You're playing in a different type of uh, format and presentation uh, in terms of using a medium such as a video game to uh, compete against. Whereas when you're looking at basketball, it's more of a physical one-on-one, team-on-team matchup. Okay. So what exactly is going to be taught in this course? Well, we're calling it the business and industry of esports because we are in the business school. And really what uh, and I'm co-teaching it with another colleague of mine outside the university, Dr. Don Marinelli. He's the former co-director of the Entertainment Technology Center at CMU. And he's also the director of innovation for Invent Global in South Korea, which is, I think, the largest uh, game uh, uh, and content uh, manufacturer in Asia. And what we're going to be talking about is giving a historical overview of what video gaming and esports is about, talking a little bit of a, of a broad perspective uh, of the gaming industry, and then starting to provide a foundation background in sports management, business, and marketing, and then to apply and integrate what, how esports is part of now the sports management industry. And we're going to be talking about the why is esports a game, the organization and the governance of esports. And this whole structure is still evolving at the high school level, the collegiate level, as well as the professional level, talking about 
the area of revenue generation, walking in terms of uh, how do we create and build an event with esports, looking at athlete performance because there is a whole area of performance that we see with other athletes, as well as looking at marketing, uh, getting into some of the analytics are behind it. So it's, it's very similar to traditional sports, but it has its own unique characteristics. Okay. One thing that we've talked about on the podcast a lot is the esports, the esports that have really come onto campus with an esports club and now with this um, elective. Is there talk about maybe an a major or concentration in esports at all? Well, there is somewhat of a committee looking in terms of expanding the whole area of esports on campus. And you brought up a, a tremendous uh, point. I think a lot of people would be surprised as to how many students actually are part of this esports or gaming culture in terms of who plays esports. And it's just not only men, but also women on campus, even though some are more heavily engaged than others. So what we're looking at is what can we do in terms of creating a team, whether it's a club level or the intercollegiate level, as well as creating a course or two courses and then creating some type of certificate, which it's easy to say, well, we'll have courses and, and we'll have a certificate, but our traditional approach is that if we're going to be doing this, what can we also do to take it to the next level and say, when you come out, you're going to do an internship associated with esports. At some point, we're going to have you employed somewhere in the esports gaming industry. We're in the beginning stages of this process, and hopefully within the next year, we'll be able to move it along more quickly. Okay. Uh, so I looked at the class uh, when I went to go schedule. Are you part of the class? I am not. It's full. But I guess that kind of leads to the next question. What has been the reaction among students and everyone so far? Or have you heard anything? There's been a lot of interest. And one of the things that uh, I'm seeing, and I haven't been able to really look at who's taking the class as far as their majors. I, I think this esports class is going to attract a lot of students outside the school of business in areas such as the school of communications and cis but also in areas such as maybe engineering math and science because you know typically these students who have these backgrounds are more engaged in the esports industry not to say that other schools and, and majors are so probably the first day of class I'm going to say all right tell me What's your major, what school you're from, and, and what motivates you to take this class? And that's going to give me a little bit a better idea of who's involved and what we're, we're going to be doing. Last spring, you guys offered the WWE course, and that was taught. Really interesting. You guys have guest speakers and everything throughout the semester. Is a similar plan in place for the esports class? Yes. We're was talking with Dr. Marinelli last week over lunch, and we sort of had a preliminary outline of the course and naturally if you're teaching this course you need to bring some industry experience into the course i would probably look in terms of bringing some of our uh, representatives from the pittsburgh knights which is the local esports team uh, probably looking as far as 
trying to uh, bring in somebody from Twitch. I met uh, an individual, and, and Dr. Marinelli knows someone who's directing strategic relationships with Twitch, and we'd like to bring them on campus and look in terms of what we can do. And we have a great teleconference room over in the School of Business uh, to Skype in some of the leading industry experts in this in this field. And uh, Dr. Marinelli is, is very much connected with the esports industry. Okay, my last question. What research have you done in esports since you started, since the idea has come about this class? Do you play video games at all? Do you know what's going on? Somehow my wife and Dean don't want to let me touch a game console for some reason. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I've done, you know, I've done some research. As a matter of fact, several years ago, I had my capstone course create a strategic uh, plan working with Armin Bazelli as far as what would it take to create a formal competitive club team, esports club team here on campus, and also a com competitive intercollegiate team on campus as far as doing research, as far as you know, trying to collect some of the basic financial and budget data, as well as who were some of the local schools. And, and things have changed and moved very quickly ahead as far as what uh, is there in the esports world. You have more schools starting esports clubs and programs. You're starting to see more high schools that are starting to create esports teams. Because if you're going to have an intercollegiate team, you need to have a feeder system as far as high school teams that you know colleges and universities can recruit from. And then also, I've been attending a number of seminars and conferences relating to esports. For example, every year I go to the National Sports Forum. I'm an advisor to them, and I so I've been able to uh, sit in on some sessions with esports. Dean Patrick sent me to a deep dive esports conference out in Cal Irvine uh, past May in terms of sitting in on some sessions and listening to different perspectives about esports as far as the intercollegiate world, some of the marketing uh, areas, uh, the, the, uh, the, what we see as far as women engagement in the industry and uh, listening to that panel. It, is a very impressive group listening to some of the benefits as well as some of the challenges that women esports athletes uh, you know face because this is an arena where essentially women and men can be somewhat competing on an equal basis rather than if you look at a physical sport such as basketball or lacrosse uh, you know, let's face it men physiologically are you know have some advantages over women but on the other hand when you look at the esports competitive space uh, I th this is an area where uh, both genders can pretty much compete on an even basis. All right. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It was a great interview, Garrett. No, oh, yeah, it was. Uh, so moving on, we have XO18, which happened a couple days ago, actually. And they announced some pretty cool things. Um... Actually, they, the big thing that they announced, and the big thing that I wanted to bring up with you, is that Microsoft has been buying studios left and right. We saw E3, they announced that their first big studio purchase, and a few days ago, we got uh, Obsidian and In Exile. 
are the two studios that they've purchased and now they've now added two Xbox studios. Why is that important, Garrett? Well, I know that definitely for Obsidian, it's big because that means our chances of getting another Fallout 76 across to all... Fallout 76. Uh, Fallout New Vegas, I'm sorry, is over all consoles is very low because Xbox needs exclusives. They are dying to get something to sell their console. Sony has God of War, Spider-Man, and they've lost Kingdom Hearts, but they used to have Kingdom Hearts, and that probably pushed the console whenever it was first announced. Mm -hmm. And Xbox just doesn't have anything to incite people. They have Sunset Overdrive, but that's like probably the only reason to buy that console. Yeah, I think what's really important here is that we see Microsoft doing what Sony did during the tail end of the PS3 is focus on really getting good studios and putting them in a position where they can create, where they can like really start to play around and really fiddle. Sony has always had a history of really good first parties, going back even to like Crash Bandicoot and stuff. So I think it's really cool that Microsoft is starting to build that up. It's interesting the studios that they're buying. They're not buying you know, big name studios, but they're also not buying really small indies. They bought, uh, I forget, the one studio that they bought that used to do a lot of work with them, the developer of State of Decay. Mm -hmm. But that was a really big purchase. And now having um, Obsidian, who did who did Fallout 76, or Fallout New Vegas, I'm sorry, Knights of the Old Republic 2 and Pillars of Eternity, those are all really good RPGs. And I think that's one of the genres of games that Xbox doesn't really, they struggle with. They don't have a lot of good... Ex when you think of Xbox, you think of first-person shooters. So the fact that they're not going for first-person shooter-centric studios and they're going for more RPGs means that whatever system that they have coming out after the Xbox One is probably going to be... Um, we'll probably see a big PS3 to PS4 switch in terms of like quantity and quality of like what they're doing. Xbox has shown that they have kind of a close relationship with Bethesda, and I think they're by buying things like Obsidian that they're trying to focus more on Western RPGs as opposed to the PlayStation's JRPGs. Yeah. Because Obsidian is a big studio. They worked on the old Fallout games as well, which if you've never played Fallout 1, 2, and arguably Tactics, a lot of people don't like Tactics, it is a really good game to play. They are the basis of why people love Fallout. It starts the story that runs all the way to 4, Mm -hmm. And having that big of a Western RPG on your development team, like they worked on the stick of truth. So yeah. having somebody who is working in the genre that you've never capitalized on will definitely push consoles. And such a big studio. That's not a small, again, mm -hmm. I want to reiterate, that's not a small studio to buy. That is a, that's a big player. And that also takes them off the board. We were talking about it in the newsroom. That essentially takes Obsidian off the board for PS4 games. I know generally Microsoft plays nice. Uh, Minecraft, for instance, still has updates for PS4 and all the other systems. But you imagine that what happens next, what happens when Obsidian starts to develop things, that it's probably going to be an Xbox exclusive. That's what they're going to push. Mm -hmm. And while the PlayStation is going to have whatever monstrosity Kojima's working on, we're now going to have a successor to Fallout New Vegas, which is one of my favorite games of all time. I think it's a really well-crafted game, and it's because Obsidian knows how to do RPGs. Yeah. And another thing that was brought up during XO18, you mentioned their focus on Western RPGs, but also they are trying to get 
JRPGs, we saw that the Final Fantasies will be coming to Xbox finally. Uh, Xbox traditionally sells very terrible in Japan. Nobody, Not a lot of people buy it. So to have Square Enix invest 7, 9, 10, 10, 2, 12, and the entire 13 trilogy as well, which was on X, which was already on Xbox, um, all going to be on the Xbox One. I think that's a really good start for them. But I want to know, but like what other games do we see Xbox, you know, bringing to Xbox to say, we are going to focus on JRPGs. We're going to get you the JRPGs you need to know. Arguably the biggest and most fabled game of all time, Kingdom Hearts 3, is a good step in that direction. And I feel like that is definitely Square Enix working with Microsoft kind of closely Mm -hmm. because a lot of people have never tried the Final Fantasy series. I feel bad if your first game is Final Fantasy 13, but... Oh, I'm sorry. But, I mean, it's definitely a step in the right direction. Having Final Fantasy 7, which is a beloved game, I personally have my gripes with it, but that's a topic for another day. Having those JRPGs that are so influential come over will probably prompt other JRPG developers to go oh, well, we'll just make an Xbox port. It's so close to PC anymore that they're essentially the same market. Yeah. Not performance-wise, but coding-wise. Coding-wise, it's a lot easier. Yeah. Uh, But what games, what other JRPGs do we get on Xbox One, do you think? Mainly, do we think it's just Square Enix, or do we start to see other developers? Konami really doesn't develop anything super huge. They just came out with Valkyria Chronicles, but... Oh, that's Sega, I'm sorry. Konami really doesn't develop anything. Yeah, ever since Konami lost Kojima, they've kind of been going downhill. They don't really work on any big titles anymore. Which is a shame, because I would love to see a Suikoden game. Mm-hmm. Suikoden would be great. An RPG that I could see coming to the Xbox, where it's not like too much of a PlayStation exclusive, would maybe be something like the Disgaea series or... Mm, something super niche. That would be really cool to see Xbox take over that like really niche JRPG work with NISA Amer- NIS America and all those publishers, Xseed, and take what traditionally the Vita used to do, which is take these very niche JRPGs and build that audience there on the Xbox. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that they're not going to focus too hard on like the traditional JRPGs, yeah. where it's something like... The Persona series, which has always been on PlayStation. They will probably not come to the Xbox because they're so reflective of Japanese culture, I guess, mm-hmm. where an American audience wouldn't connect as well, which is a genuine issue with those games. Yeah. And if they focus on the Western RPG side, we haven't seen a lot of good Western RPGs recently. Bethesda released Fallout 76, but that's very light RPG. Well, Red Dead 2 is considered an RPG game. There's not, like, the same systems and menu navigation that's traditional with RPGs. And moving on, Crackdown 3 finally gets a release date. And I just wanted to ask, does anybody actually care about Crackdown 3 anymore? I don't think anybody cares. The people who loved Crackdown 1 and 2, if they exist, will be going... Terry Crews. I mean, that's how hard they're trying to push it. They made a big show of it at the Xbox conference, and they got Terry Crews for their advertising. But who, when seeing the trailer for the game, has the drive to go and buy it? Here's the thing. I have the original The original release slate was 2016 
for reference, I was a senior in high school. That would have been your junior year of high school. We are now in our junior and sophomore years of college. I think the, the boat has sailed on that. I think it's time to just get Crackdown 3 out, release it super quiet, and just forget that it ever existed because I can't imagine them making money on Crackdown 3 at this point. Yeah, whenever games go through development hell like this, sometimes they end up good, but a lot of the time they end up bad. Final Fantasy 15 will be like the what inspires a lot of people to work on games that have been in development hell. That's a unicorn, though. Yeah, that's a unicorn, and nobody's going to have that same success. That's all we have. That's all I really have to say on Crackdown on the XO18 special. Yeah, that was a couple days ago. Microsoft announced a bunch of cool things on their special. But now we are going to move on to a topic closer to your heart. Smash Bros. Ultimate, the final roster has been announced. The only thing, I, we talked about the list before, and I'm excited that the Ice Climbers are back. A lot of people are excited for Ice Climbers because for the Wii U version of the game, they said that having that big of a map and you can have eight players, having 16 characters on screen would crash the game, but Rosalina and Luma were the same thing. Uh, honestly, a lot of the characters that are coming back, it seems like a kind of send-off to the series. Do you think this will be the last I, Smash I, Bros? I do think it'll be the last Smash Bros, at least if um, Sakurai is still heading it. Yeah, Sakurai said for a really... It feels like for a really long time, he's been kind of trying to get out of Smash Bros and trying to like do other things. He... I think this will probably be one of the last Sakurai Smash Brothers, but I don't know if it's it's such a big game. It's such a cultural like icon. I don't know if Nintendo lets it die. I don't think Nintendo will let it die, but it definitely won't be another Sakurai game. He will. He wants to end it. He wants to go work on Kirby. It, it's essentially like... That's what we all ask for. Yeah. More I mean, Kirby games. The Kirby games recently have been stepping up. He's been showing a lot of love for those, and... That's honestly what game developers should be doing, is working on what they love instead of, like, a generically packed yeah. thing. But filling it with all the, like, characters from Melee, like, who asked for Pichu back? Like, nobody wanted that. But it's going to be a kind of send-off. And by adding in another story mode, that's essentially what they're doing. They're saying, hey, look, it's the final Smash Brothers. You're going to have a lot of time with this and you can even take it wherever you go on the switch we got we also got two new characters in the latest announcement ken who will be an echo fighter for you and incineroar you talk about nobody wanting pichu who what heathen asked for incineroar there was actually a surprisingly large amount of people asking for an incineroar smash character and i I don't get it. It is a unique, if you've seen the trailer, It he uses wrestling moves like pile drives. He throws people off the side of a ring that he pops up. He's extremely interesting. He's the only character that fights in that style. I feel like there's not enough Nintendo properties anymore. It just like There's too many Pokemon characters. There's too many Fire Emblem characters. What is, when are we going to get something like really unique? I guess that's what we did get with uh, Ridley and Simon and those characters but even still 
I mean, are you saying Piranha Plant isn't unique? We're going to get to Piranha Plant. <laughs> I'm excited. I, I was ready to pre-order that game instantly for Piranha Plant. Yeah, I, I do see what you mean. And that's what people are fearing with the DLC characters because they've announced five DLC characters. And if it's like, oh, you get another Fire Emblem character, some people are theorizing that they're going to put Sora from Kingdom Hearts in. I don't think they do that. Isaac from Golden Sun. Gino, like all of these are kind of third party ish characters. Yeah. Like you'd have to ask Square Enix for permission to use Gino and while they already have Cloud eh. Is Cloud in the game? Cloud would be in the game, yeah. Yeah, Cloud is still in the game, which is once again illustrates your point that most of the roster is third party. It's games that do well on Nintendo. It's not really Nintendo games anymore. It's acceptable, but if it was just purely Nintendo fighting game characters, it would be it would be more influential. Like nobody really needed Ken as an Echo Fighter. He's the original Echo Fighter, so it makes sense as to why he is. Mm-hmm. But if they added in somebody like Zangief or um, M Bison, those would be yeah. interesting characters to see in Smash. Yeah, but we'll also talk about the pre-order bundle which you mentioned before, Piranha Plant. You want to talk about digging out of the bottle of the barrel? And finding gold. I didn't know that I needed to play Smash Brothers as a piranha plant as much as I did. You could hear the collective screams of everybody who wanted their favorite character in the game whenever they announced that you're going to be able to fight as a flower. I can't keep a straight face even now. We're on radio and no one can see my face. I can't keep a straight face on just the absurdity of piranha plant. Yeah, and it's not like they haven't had absurd kind of like characters before, but like whenever they did previously absurd, it was at least you could believe that, oh, yeah, this character would fight. Yeah. Like, oh, Cloud's in the game. You know, that's weird, but I mean, it's Cloud. It makes sense. Yeah. He's, Piran- a, big, he's Pir- a big dude with a sword. Piranha Plant, does he even count as a Mario character? I feel like I feel like the other thing with Nintendo is that they don't actually have characters. They just like take the like stage obstacles and they're like, this is a character, Piranha Plant. Uh, the Chomps. Yeah, I mean, it, it. it's going to be strange because from what the trailer showed, Piranha Plant doesn't look like he's bad either. Like, you could tell when there's a bad fighter. King DDD is a not very good fighter. But Piranha Plant looks like it's going to be the new meta. King DDD was my ult when I found out that Ice Climbers was gone. Yeah, I mean, it. it's definitely... A strange pre-order bonus. I don't know if you'll be able to get it without pre-ordering. You will, but it'll be available later. Hmm. And then you also have those five DLC, DLC characters. characters. Do we know who those are going to be? Do Is there any like speculation on who those five are going to be? A lot of people are hoping for characters, but there's no like concrete details. People wanted Geno from uh, the Mario RPG series. But I don't think they're going to do that. They're going to have to look for something that, after the game's been out for six months... That's going to really draw people in. Yeah, like, the uh, I'm not sold on this game because there's not the character I want in it. But they're going to need to, like... If they put in Waluigi... Toad for Smash. You heard it here. Okay. and uh, That's going a little too far. Captain Toad for Smash. He just shines a light in your face and you die. Yeah, but they, they they do need to have that character that will draw somebody in. I 
I do think that if they put someone like Sora into Smash, it would draw people into the game. I don't think you get Sora. I think Sora, I think Sora definitely breaks the mold of what I don't want to say what Smash Brothers is, but I think Snake is that character that does that. Like it would be on the same like plane as Snake, if you saw Sora in Kingdom in Smash Bros. I mean, if we really want to take it to like absurd levels like snake and having it like oh at least it appeared on a nintendo console get doom guy the issue with nintendo is they don't have he slays demons and now he's in here with fighting simon belmont in a cutscene so Overwatch reinstalling the game with their next update. They plan to feature more stories and PvE events. So basically, I was going through the story, and Overwatch or Blizzard has announced that this next update will require players to will require players to reinstall the game overall. Definitely an issue with that is that Overwatch is a big game at this point, and the bandwidth that you can download that game at is reaching its limits, and that's why you have to completely reinstall the game. As they keep adding more and more characters, because they have plans for over like 50 characters in the end game of Overwatch, and that's going to take up a lot of data and a lot of, they're going to keep adding maps that are related to those characters, and people will definitely be upset when it keeps reinstalling and all their presets just are gone. There's competitive players who have their mouse sensitivity adjusted in the game to the perfect amount. If they keep updating it, it'll keep changing. So this brings up the topic of games as a service, because I would, at this point you can consider Overwatch a game as a service. You pay for that $60 up front and you continuously get updates and whatnot to change the game. Is that what we start to see? Is there a cap to what we're going to see as games as a service? Because you are going to have to keep reinstalling the game and it becomes more of a hassle to keep reinstalling and uninstalling it than just paying for one game, trading it in a GameStop when you're done. I mean, yeah, that is definitely an issue. You see that in, like, how Steam handles CSGO. They still sell CSGO Classic, but you can buy the most recent edition and it keeps updating. It's an issue of you don't really own games anymore. If you buy something on Steam, you have the license to it. That's why, like, the death of physical games is so concerning. If you don't own the disc, you don't own the game. They could just uninstall it at will. Yeah. And we can even like talk about that a little bit later with the Deltarune discussion, where sometimes these games are capitalizing on the fact that you don't have a disc, on the fact that you don't own the game. There was what? There's a game that released on Steam a couple of years ago where when you die, it, like you lose the license to it overall. I think it was during the like Evolve craze. The, like, asynchronous multiplayer thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I remember that. That was a real weird story to read. Yeah, but with Steam, you don't really own your games, and it's going to become, like, an issue, because if a game, for some reason, the developer doesn't want to have it be released anymore. Like, whenever you saw a phone selling for $300 because they had Flappy Bird on it. Yeah. That is going to become an issue. You can't have your game collection that you can repeatedly go back to. And if you want a game the way it was released, 
you might not That's be able to harder. access that. Mm -hmm. I know it came up a couple weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, that PT, even if you haven't installed, you can't use it anymore. Like, it's, it's now an obsolete thing. Yeah, it, it's going to become an issue, and we're going to see more of this in the future. I don't think it's bad for Overwatch, though, because it's trying to be too competitive. And, like, as we mentioned, it's adding in PvE and stuff, and they need to draw players in. A lot of people don't like the current version of Overwatch because it's all competitive. It's why games like Destiny still have players, though, because there are people who just want to work with friends and like goof around in game get like rewards but they don't like that competitive scene because competitive players for a lack of better term are jerks they don't want you on your team if you don't know how to play a character if you don't know every iframe behind tracer they don't want you in the game having that pve having these constant updates is going to help the game in the long run if you went back to play overwatch classic there would still be people complaining that you can't play Winston right or yada, yada, yada. It'll be an issue for games, but I think in the case of Overwatch, it isn't necessarily bad. Okay. And also, they're also adding story events for Overwatch PvE. What's going on in the story? of? I know there's a huge, like, backstory. Is it the same thing that they have comics about, or is it... Um. Yeah, it's essentially the same thing that they have in the comics, but as they add in more characters, they tell you how... These characters impact the lore. Like, um, they recently added Ash. She has a close relation to McCree. They used to be in a gang together as, like, criminals. Mm -hmm. But once McCree went back to Overwatch, she kept being a criminal. And as a result, they butt heads frequently. And by doing that, if they made, like, events, like, where Ash is robbing a bank and there's robots everywhere and you have to kill them, and giving you rewards for that and, like, giving you a reason to play with friends, that will draw players in. Yeah. Or even, like, a dynamic thing where Ash is, you know, robbing a bank again and McCree appears on the map and he, like, is specifically targeting Ash. That's probably a big draw. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be too invested to play the missions. It's usually, like, it'll kind of guide you through the mission, but it's, it's definitely a way to get people who aren't invested in competitive in the game. Now, is it like like how Overwatch is where you play the capture and defend type thing with dialogue in between? Or are they like separate maps that, you play, that you're walking around as Ash and McCree doing things? Um, in, the most, in the one that I remember the most, it's the Omnic Crisis in Britain. And you're going down the Britain map and it's altered slightly so that the story plays out how it's supposed to. You capture the points, but you're sitting on that point for, like, three minutes waiting and, like, killing enemies in waves. Okay. So they do try to mix it up, but... Yeah, they mix up how the gameplay is, and you have to rethink, like, certain characters because, like, Reaper may be good in online because he does a ton of damage, but whenever you're dealing with a ton of enemies all rushing you at once, maybe he's not the right option. And moving on this week, either tomorrow or some point in the week, Let's Go Pikachu and Let's Go Eevee comes up. We had other Pokemon news happen. Yesterday, we got Detective Pikachu 
starring Ryan Reynolds came out, the trailer at least. I don't think it's that good. I saw your eye just twitch. Uh, yeah, maybe I have a little bit too deep of a connection with this movie. I don't know. Um, I am excited for it. Previously, Pokemon hasn't dared to go outside the limits too much, but whenever they do, it usually turns out good. But when's the last time that happened? Um, I honestly think the last time it happened where they went really outside of the bounds of what Pokemon does is Pokemon Conquest for the DS. Okay, yeah, that's fair. But whenever they, like, had that unique spin, like, the Detective Pikachu game is fairly tame. It's you're walking around, like, a little town, and this Pikachu's like, let's solve crimes. But the movie looks, like, a little bit darker. Like, I do think that Ryan Reynolds is what's going to push it for, like, a PG or PG-13 rating. And having that on a Pokemon movie will draw in a lot of viewers who are like, oh, I don't want to see Pokemon because I've seen all the Pokemon games. It reminds me a lot of how uh, the Gen 5 of Pokemon games were, where it's darker, more realistic. Which one was Gen 5? I'm sorry. That was Unova, right? Black and white? Yeah, that was black and white and black and white too. Uh. Like those games went a little bit darker than the usual Pokemon series. They, at one point, almost kill your character. Which I didn't actually play those. I skipped that gen. Yeah, in um, Black and White 2, the main villain attempts to kill your character, and the like anti-hero from the last game swoops in to save you. Sorry if you haven't played Black and White 2. If you haven't played Black and White 2, you're not playing it. It's expensive. I looked it up. It's like $500 on eBay. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I mean, it's whenever they get darker, they know how to do it well. Because Pokemon knows how to affect the people who like Pokemon. A lot of people are angry that Ryan Reynolds is voicing Pikachu. Because they don't think Pikachu has a very... Masculine voice. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean... Well, some people wanted Danny DeVito to voice I do Detective Pikachu. And I think that would have been worse. It, it definitely would have been worse, but it would have been funnier. And that's what people kind of wanted from a Detective Pikachu movie. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that's what they... That's clearly not the direction they're taking. Yeah, and... I don't know who I would want to voice Pikachu. I feel like it would have to be... I would honestly be okay with it being a boy Pikachu, but voiced by, like, a girl. Like, you know how in animation, how, like, prepubescent boys are usually voiced by women? I I would probably like to see that instead of Ryan Reynolds. But, I mean, if Ryan Reynolds wants to do it, it's off-putting because it's just Deadpool voicing (laughs) Pikachu. But, I mean, sure. He's quickly running into the Mark Hamill issue where Mark Hamill was unable to get any roles because people saw him as Luke Skywalker. And then he got the Joker. Wow. Yeah, he, he's the Joker and Luke Skywalker. You can't watch anything voiced or acted by Mark Hamill without going, hey, look, it's the Joker. In, uh, for, to even give an example, in the CW Flash series, they have him come in and play like the Joker knockoff. Yeah, the trickster. The trickster. And you go... Is he trying to be the Joker? It's it's off-putting, and Ryan Reynolds will definitely fall into that issue. But considering he's been an actor for years before, I think like he has the experience. Yeah. For a Pokemon movie, too, they got good actors. There's an interesting enough plot where, like in the original game, your fa- the kid's father is missing, and that's why he teams up with him. And I also think seeing Pokemon in like a realistic CG kind of has a draw to it in the trailer. See, I don't. 
I I showed you Pokemon Apocalypse. That was disturbing to say the least. Yeah, it's it's pretty disturbing. But I feel like that's on the same like level of quality in terms of CGI. Like this fan made thing is more or less just about as good as what they're producing in Hollywood for this Pokemon movie. Yeah, and for example, they have uh, Greninja jumping around in um, the trailer, like hunting down Pikachu and uh, the kid whose name slips my mind. It's going to feature those Pokemon we haven't seen before. It's going to try its best with CGI. Like We obviously have limitations for movies. The Charizard that they showed was actually like not too bad. I didn't like it. Yeah, it it will definitely be a hit or miss for viewers because it's either going to be what you dreamed of for years or what you feared for years. Um, yeah, so Detective Pikachu, are you going to see it when it comes out? I will definitely be going to see it and you can expect a review on Century Media about can... Pikachu. And then you can expect a conversation where me and Garrett, we're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. When does that movie come out? Will I be graduated by then? It comes out 2019 and they're... Fall 2019? It'll either be fall or summer. Okay. We'll do a, we'll do a special. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they release it the same day as Toy Story 4 and Child's Play. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, both movies are coming out the same day. Jesus. Okay. But... Also, speaking of shows that we're going to do in the future, the Game Awards are coming up soon, and that means Colonial Consoles will be our next episode. Our last episode of the semester will be dedicated wholly to the Game Awards. We're going to talk about the Game Award contenders. We're going to have Logan Carney come back on. Be sure to tune in next Tuesday. Be sure to tune in to RMU Radio. Be sure to keep an eye out on RMU Century Media. We're going to talk about the Game of the, Game of the Year contenders, Red Dead Redemption 2, Spider-Man, Monster Hunter World, Celeste, and Assassin's Creed Odyssey. We pretty much all agree that Assassin's Creed Odyssey probably isn't going to win. Mm-hmm. Our main argument will be between God of War and Red, Head, Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption. Red Dead Redemption 2. <laughs>
well, the same characters, actually, the same models, the same names, the same characters, but everything's a little bit different, and it doesn't really explain why until the end, which I'll talk about in our spoiler section. Essentially, you play as the main character, Chris. Chris is the only human in town. Everyone else is monsters. And there's a girl who bullies you named Susie. And you two end up in a world, well, it's just the world of darkness. And you essentially follow the same idea and plot that was Undertale, where you need to break the barrier and bring light back, which it kind of mirrors the whole human and monster world thing. But what sets the two games apart is choice. Uh, Once again, more in the spoilers about how that affects the overall story. But in this game, you can't go on a genocide or pacifism route. You either attack enemies or you spare enemies. And in the end, they're still there. It's not like where you go through repeatedly killing enemies and then it gets like creepy effects and all that. It's a very interesting game, but it's too easy. It's too easy? Yeah, throughout the entire game, there's not really a difficulty. It's very easy. Everything's easy to avoid. Like, in Undertale, at least, as soon as you get to the first boss, Toriel, you start to see, like, this game isn't going to be easy. There's going to be enemies that will cause you to keep coming back and fighting, and you need to use save points. I didn't really save in the game. I started playing the game last night and got to the end. I haven't beat it, which, once again, I'll get into later, but it's so easy that it's almost... There's no challenge. Okay. So before we get into spoilers, because it feels like we're tiptoeing on a lot of spoilers, Mm -hmm. yes or no, do you like it? I would definitely say that I do like Deltarune. As much as I've given negatives so far, I do like it. I don't think it's Undertale, but he has announced that he's going to be adding more chapters in the future, which will hopefully improve upon the things that weren't so great. Do you recommend it for other people? If you're a fan of the original Undertale, I would recommend it, especially if you're into the lore and the culture surrounding Undertale. Um, for people who have never played the game, I would, de- I would recommend downloading it. It's completely free. It only takes a couple of hours to beat. And it's fun. I mean, it it's easy, and the story isn't, like, stellar, but there's going to be more on the way. All right, right here is where we were actually going to discuss spoilers. Like I said before we started our Deltarune discussion, we're going to talk full spoilers about Deltarune, the follow-up to Undertale. Back to Deltarune. Deltarune, because of the way that it doesn't give you any choice, the combat's very streamlined. You either attack or you don't. You warn enemies if they're going to attack. And you really have no choice in what happens in the story. For the end, I haven't beat the game, but I have watched the ending of the game and the multiple endings you can get. There are two. Either the king that you beat is carried away by his subjects and his son's put in power, or else you put him to sleep. So it doesn't really feel like there's much of a change in the story. As the credits roll, it cuts back to your character, and you see them like convulsing in bed. 
and then they're thrown out of the bed into the middle of the floor, and they rip their own heart out and throw it in a cage. Oh, that's pretty dark. Yes, and then their eyes flash red, and they're holding a knife, which is like the iconic imagery of Chara from Undertale, who was like the evil entity that killed everybody, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting for the lore because all of the characters don't like acknowledge anything from Undertale, but they're the same characters. Everyone's classic meme, Sans, is in the game, and the extent of lore you get from him is that he befriended your mom last night. And that's kind of like the comedy tone of the game. But having it where it's going to be more chapters has people instantly, like, frothing at the mouth for more. So do you think it's going to be a weird, like, Persona version where this is two separate universes, where Undertale happens in one and Undertale... And the main character who becomes Char goes to the other universe, or is it, or are they going to eventually convulse into one thing? What do you think is going to happen? I, I honestly never thought about it in a Persona way, but I would be extremely excited if it did, because I like the way that the Persona games kind of do that. It's well, they only did it once. Well, yeah, but it's extremely strange, like how they tell the story. And as I mentioned earlier, the difficulty curve is fairly non-existent it goes almost down as you go throughout the game and you get better armor and healing the king fight itself isn't hard but they have one secret boss and the boss that nobody can explain and the lore around is like all strange and like possibly serial killer-ish and he even references what the end of the game will be like towards the end of the game you go on an elevator and there's a floor that just has question marks if you go to that floor you get a quest to make a key. When you put the key in the door after you complete all the quests, you fight a character named Jeevil. The difficulty curve goes from non-existent to Mount Everest. As all good secret bosses? Yes. If you've ever fought the Lingering Will from Kingdom Hearts, it's that kind of difficulty spike. Some people will claim there's no difficulty spike there, but it's, it's hard. Especially because of the control limitations present in Deltarune. Like, the controls, you have to use the arrow keys, which was the same for Undertale, but... I don't think I asked this. What is Deltarune on? It is on PC. Okay. Very, very difficult. The music is a bop. Honestly, the soundtrack for Deltarune is really good, and it shines in the secret boss with um, the world spinning, which is his, like, fight theme. Mm -hmm. And the music also references things in Undertale, like... Field of Hopes and Dreams, the first track whenever you actually like start your adventure, is it reminisces music from that. So whenever the ending comes, you can almost be like theorizing about what's going on, why is it so similar, and there's a ton of theories floating around. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of, uh, not reminds me of, but it definitely hints itself to being like an infinite loop persona style. Yeah, and I'm excited to see where it goes. I do like the game. I would recommend it to anybody, especially if you're into the Undertale conspiracies and stuff. I have not played Undertale. What I didn't mention in our spoiler-free discussion is what happens whenever you launch the game. Because that's honestly one of the best parts. You go through and you create a character. And after you create the character, you name it, you put your name in, you describe what you feel about your creation, how you like it and everything. It just erases it all it says you have no choice 
And that's pretty, like, influential to how the gameplay and everything goes. And I want to see how they carry that out in other chapters. Whenever you launch the game's installer on your computer, the end user, the end user agreement, while usually is something you never read, you will read because it's only one line that says you accept everything that happens from here on out. Ah, the old Persona debate. It, it's essentially the Persona contract, and the game makes you disable your virus protection for that program. Oh, wow. That's... It's also called Survey Program. So I think the game's story hasn't been written yet. And they're just waiting to see how players handle the game. This is an experiment. And I'm extremely excited to see where this game goes. All right. So you said it's available on PC. About how much is it? Um, it is completely free. Completely free. And how long did it take you to beat? Um, or you haven't beaten it yet. How long has it taken you to get? We're going to try and wrap it up. If you want to play the game completely normally, I would say it would take you about four hours. It's not particularly hard. There's probably even faster ways to go through it. I was trying to collect everything and do mm -hmm. everything. If you want to do the secret boss, you might hit a roadblock. That can be a turn away for some for 100% completing it because it is hard. It's completely random what effects happen, too, so... Oh, wow. Yeah, like... That's not fair. Like, how Lingering Will changes up the moveset each time you face him. Jeevil, one of the actions you do is just spinning, and it changes it up, which can really add game time. I guess if you want to play it, it's not too long, and it's free, so why not try Well, it is... Well, that is Deltarune. It is available on PC from what's sake, Garrett... Um, it is from Toby Fox's own site. It is a site that just has information on the game. Black background, white text. You'll know it's real whenever it says, like, download English, download Spanish or whatever. I forget what the other language was. And you'll have to disable your virus protection to play it. All right. Be sure to check that out. Let us know what you think in the comments or send an email. I don't know if you can send an email. We don't have an email to send things to. We probably should. We could. We can, we can do that. We can talk about that. Uh, yeah. That's this week's Colonial Console. Thank you, Professor Dave Snoka, for talking about the eSports Elective on campus. Thank you, Garrett Roberts, for coming on and doing the show with me, as you do every other week. Yo. And remember that you can catch Colonial Console on Army Century Media once every other week. We do it Tuesdays on Army Radio at 3 o'clock. And my name is Malik Johnson. I've done this outro three times in the past 20 minutes. Uh, my name is Malik Johnson. I'm the news manager here at Army Century Media. I'm the program director for Army Radio.